my bad. Um, yeah, no, it's a great day um, today and great day to celebrate. Um, got off to a bit of a false start this morning, though. I rolled over <coughs> in bed and said happy Easter to Tam, and she, for some reason, thought I said my beard is stiff. <laughs> I don't know why, <laughs> how, how you get my beard is stiff from happy Easter, <laughs> but I had to clarify. Um, but it's good to laugh today. Um, there's actually a thing in different church traditions called Easter laughter, um, which is the idea that today some, some churches literally get like comedians or just do ridiculous funny things to laugh because the idea is that God gets the last laugh. It looks like the enemy wins, but actually Jesus is victorious and he actually has the victory and what looked like the end was actually, um, what the end of Jesus and God was actually the end of his enemy and actually ultimately a victory. So it's a good day to laugh. Um, but as, as we're thinking, though, just of the in-between time between Good Friday and Easter Sunday and just where the disciples would have been and actually where we find ourselves a lot of the time is actually probably feeling, um, not necessarily like laughing, but actually maybe how the disciples felt when um, they've been with Jesus, this, this incredibly dynamic person, this amazing person who to be in his presence would have been so life-giving. He's literally God with us. But now they find him dead and gone. He's absent, which is a tragic loss. And when we experience loss, um, particularly unexpected loss, tragic loss, early loss can lead to incredibly deep pain, um, sadness, fear, doubt, loneliness, isolation, perhaps just hopelessness. And for many of the disciples, this was their experience, I think, from Good Friday. Even though Jesus had said this was going to happen, they still hadn't really understood. And we even see in Mary this deep sadness. Um, even when she finds the stone rolled away, um, she's there and she's crying. And we see this in um, John 20, verse 11 to 12. Um, those first verses there. It says, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. The next verse says, Then, Jesus, then they asked her, the angels asked her, why, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken away my Lord, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. She's still experiencing the harsh reality of Jesus' death. And, and Mary goes to the tomb, but she's not going there to find Jesus alive. She's going there to find his body, to, to care for his body, to anoint his body. And then even his body is taken away. Jesus is taken away from her, her and now his body is taken away from her. And she's just in this place of deep loss and sadness. Yet there's this question, woman, why are you crying? And then Jesus is there, but she cannot see him. She doesn't recognize him. She's still in this place of deep loss and sadness, which is the place we can be when we experience that tragedy and loss. She might say to these angels, well, isn't it obvious why I'm crying, right? Effectively what she says, like someone's not only killed Jesus, but now taken away his body as well. It's interesting, the next verse, she sees Jesus, and then Jesus actually asks her. He says in verse 15, woman, why are you crying? 
Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. Again, Jesus is literally right there. He's speaking to her. He asks the same question. Why are you crying? Who are you looking for? And she's still in this place of loss. Can't see that he's present. Until in verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. He simply speaks her name. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. To this crying woman, Jesus asks a question and then speaks her name. And we see today that he is alive. He knows us by name and he speaks into our sadness and loss. Uh, When we're in a place of grief and sadness and loss and tragedy, often it's easy not to be aware that Jesus is right there, that he's actually present. Maybe he's even speaking and we can't recognize him, even though he's right there. But today we remember that he's alive, he knows us by name and even speaks our name and comes to us intimately and closely to meet us in the midst of our sadness and our pain. Uh, Pete Pete Grieg is an author, um, he's a leader in the prayer movement in the UK, and in the middle of this growing prayer movement and God using him massively, his wife um, came down with a chronic illness, sort of having seizures and then just not finding an answer to it. This guy who's meant to be an expert in prayer has this huge battle with unanswered prayer and actually goes on to write a book called God on Mute on Unanswered Prayer. And in a devotion that he was Um, I read yesterday by him, he said these words about this question, which is so interesting. He says this, isn't it beautiful that the first words of the new covenant are a question, not an announcement, not an answer, but a quietly considerate question addressed to a weeping woman. Why, Jesus wants to know, are you weeping? He says, and for anyone like Mary, anyone like me, who's journeyed through the darkness of Monday, Thursday, and the despair of Good Friday to reach this garden tomb, it's a stupid question. But it's also a profound question. And with hindsight, even a funny one too. Jesus, the God you may confuse with a gardener, simply speaks Mary's name. Easter dawns with a question and a name. So interesting. And again, maybe to ask someone, why are you crying in the middle of such pain and loss is somewhat an offensive question. Yet with the reality that Jesus is alive, it's actually somewhat of a funny question. She's grieving deeply, but he's literally right there as a gardener. So today, perhaps Jesus may even be asking you, and one question to reflect on today perhaps is, why are you crying? He's alive. And like he asked Mary, in the midst of her sadness, why are you crying? Perhaps you can hear him ask you this question today, why are you crying? And perhaps you can hear him even speak your name into your sadness, into your grief, into your pain. Because sometimes that's, that's all we need. Sometimes when I'm discouraged, um, down, sad, Something will happen um, that's clearly God. 
someone comes along that just speaks the word at the right time or, or, or something happens that just lines up and it can't be a coincidence and it just tells me, oh, well, God knows. He, he knows and he cares. He knows what's going on for me and he cares deeply. And sometimes that's all we need is for him to speak our name into our sadness. But the disciples, they're not just sad, they're also afraid. And interestingly, they're even afraid after they see Jesus alive. They're still afraid. Um, perhaps they're afraid that what's happened to Jesus now could happen to them. If they've been following him and he ends up on a cross, what's going to be their fate? And when we are afraid, often a coping mechanism is to hide um, and lock the doors. And that's what we see them do. They run, they hide, they look for safety, they lock the doors, but they're still afraid. You can't actually run from the fear. Yet Jesus comes and meets them behind locked doors. John 20, 19, the next verse, says, On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. It's interesting. They've, they'd already heard that he was alive. He'd appeared to Peter. He'd appeared to Mary. He'd appeared to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. This all happened during the day. This is at the end of the day. But they're still locked away, keeping the authorities out. But also, if they've locked the doors, they're potentially keeping the risen Jesus out. They're, they're just hiding in fear. Yet he's not limited by their fear or by their locked doors, and he literally just appears inside. And the word that he gives to these followers who have deserted him, who, who didn't believe what he'd said, and who now are afraid, his word is peace. He comes and appears and offers peace. So today, we recognize that he is alive. He comes to be with us, and he offers peace in the midst of our fear. It's pretty beautiful, just um, these passages, just depiction of Jesus. The, the first word um, that he really speaks into Mary is her name. And the first word here he speaks to his disciples is peace. And this, as we see in that passage, leads them to joy. They start to believe, which leads to joy, and he offers the Spirit, which is His continuing presence and promise of peace. And when we face difficult times, um, when circumstances are beyond our control, um, it's normal to be afraid when there's danger, when there's loss, when there's uncertainty. And often, an easy response to fear is to seek control. Uh, the disciples seek control and security through locks, through rooms and locked doors. And perhaps when we're afraid, we seek bigger locks, greater security, more money, greater control, knowledge, technology, so we can face whatever comes. We can deal with the problems and the threats. Yet the way to peace is not to be able to control the uncontrollable. The way to peace is actually to recognize that the one who is in control, who is all-powerful, is present, and he gives peace. Peace. Um, so Bible teacher Alexander McLaren just puts this so simply in a one-liner. He says, peace comes not from the absence of trouble, but from the presence of God. 
It's so easy when we're afraid to want to control what's outside, but we can't. But Jesus comes and offers peace because he can, and he is present with us. So again, Jesus is alive. We recognize that today. We know that, but we enter into it deeper today. And perhaps he asks you these questions. Again, questions that he asked disciples at different times. Why are you troubled? Why are you afraid? If he's alive, if he's present, again, maybe the answer is obvious. There's all these problems, there's all these uncertainties, there's all these difficulties. But the other, on the other hand, if he's right here, why are you afraid? Perhaps he's offering you that question today. Perhaps you can hear him greet you with a message of peace today, even in the midst of fearful situations and emotions you may be experiencing. But we know the story that not all of the disciples were there in that room. They, they didn't all see him, and they had to hear it secondhand that Jesus was alive. And when they heard it, perhaps they thought, well, this is too good to be true. And that's true for us in a sense, right? Like, we didn't see him. We're hearing this secondhand. And maybe, in a sense, we might think, well, this is too good to be true. And um, Thomas, in particular, says he needs to see it for himself. They doubt that it could really be the case. And again, that's a pretty normal response. After a traumatic event, after experiencing grief and loss, it can be hard to believe in good again. It can be hard to hope again. That can feel dangerous. So he's in this place of skepticism, which is good because he's honest. And Jesus meets him <clears throat> in that place. So we see in verse 24, excuse me, <coughs> Verse 24 says, Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. He has doubts and he said he needs evidence. He needs to see in order to believe. And Jesus actually honors this need of Thomas. In verse 26, it says, A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. He honors the need to be able to see that Thomas has. He offers peace and an encouragement to faith. He, he, he gives him what he needs, but then he says, stop doubting and believe. This is not too good to be true. It is true. The next verse, Thomas believes. Verse 28, Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, "Blessed you have, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas is a skeptic, but he's converted. He sees, and he comes to believe. Yet there's many, and there's a great encouragement that Jesus gives to the many of us included, who have not seen Jesus alive, yet are called to believe. Believe based on the testimony of those who did see him. Believe based on the testimony of the Holy Spirit and God's Word. There's actually encouragement to believe. So we see today, he is alive. He was seen alive by many witnesses. 
and he encourages us to believe and not remain stuck in our doubt. And now, it's okay to have doubt. We talked about this earlier um, in the year, and it's good to be honest. It's not good to fake belief. That's not what Jesus wants, fake belief. He wants genuine belief, and it's okay to come to him with our need, perhaps even of some more evidence or to be convinced. It's okay to be honest, and he often honors that and meets us in that place of searching, but he also doesn't want us to get stuck there, being stuck in a place of skepticism or doubt or uncertainty. He wants us to believe. Uh, David Guzik says it this way. There's this quote. He says, often God does not condemn our doubt, and he also often reveals and does remarkable things to speak into our doubt and unbelief. But doubt and unbelief are not desired conditions for the disciple of Jesus. If they are checkpoints along the path to faith, they should be dealt with with a generous love. But doubt and unbelief should never be thought of as destinations for the disciple. Again, facing difficult, traumatic events, fear, uncertainty, sadness can lead to doubt. And it's good to be honest about that and to work through that. But his encouragement is to believe. His encouragement is to trust him, is to believe the testimony, believe the good news that he is alive and have faith in him. So again, another question that he asked his disciples after appearing to them, perhaps he asked this to us today, why do doubts arise in your hearts? He's alive. He's risen. He's present. Particularly if he's revealed himself to you and you know him, why do doubts arise in your hearts? Perhaps you can hear his presence encouraging uh, um, the blessing of believing today. The, the encouragement to believe. This is actually not too good to be true. It's actually true. He's actually alive. And there's, a, there's a definitely a balance. Again, we don't want to be fake, but in some ways, skepticism and doubting can be thought of as too high a value, particularly in our culture. It's kind of good to be skeptical, but actually Jesus says, no, it's good to believe. What he wants us to do is to be honest, but he wants us to believe. So this encouragement, though, to believe, um, to trust him, to recognize that he's alive, this is not just like so that it's a religious belief. It's not just because that's what um, Christians believe, or it's not just for the sake of it. Um, it's not just that this is a personal value, but then it doesn't actually impact our lives in any way. What these verses go on to say is that actually this is what life is all about. Uh, John 20, verse 30 to 31. John is kind of summarizing his gospel. He says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That ultimately, what we recognize today is that he's alive so we can have life. Because actually, life, true life, is to know him, is to know his presence, his risen presence now and his presence for eternity. And if that's what life's about, then actually, when we face troubles and difficulties, they're actually often opportunities to get to know him more and actually experience deeper life with him. We can know his help with doubts and struggles in faith 
Um, again, I shared earlier in the year some of my struggles in faith, and often going through those struggles led to a deeper trust and a deeper intimacy and a deeper experience of Jesus. We can know his promise of peace in the midst of fear, and often when we experience his peace in the midst of fear, we gain greater trust that he's actually sufficient, that he will provide, that there's peace and we gain greater courage and confidence in our relationship with him. And we can know his presence and comfort in the midst of sadness. And often that is sometimes when we can experience his love deeply, that he knows us, that he loves us, that he cares for us, that he comforts us. And we actually experience his heart and life even more. Because life is meant to be lived with God now and for eternity. And if we know that, then we have hope that whatever happens, we will be with him forever. And as we were singing about before and talking about before, if he was resurrected, we will be resurrected. We have hope in him. So today, perhaps right now, into circumstances, into emotions, into challenges that may be overwhelming at the moment, today we take the opportunity to step back and just remember that truth, that he's alive. Jesus is alive. And that literally changes everything. This is our hope. It shifts our perspective and our sadness, our fear, and our doubt. So I'm going to pray, and then, then we're going to continue to sing to celebrate and remember. I just invite you to stand, stand with me as we respond. Jesus, thank you that you know us when we're sad and down and weeping. And you ask us, why are you crying? Because you know our name. Thank you that you know us and are with us in the midst of our fear. And your risen presence offers peace. Thank you that you're patient with us in our doubts and our struggles. Yet you encourage us to believe and have life. And we just ask, risen Jesus for your presence and your spirit to shift our perspectives and atmosphere in our lives by recognizing the truth that you're alive. You're present and it changes everything. Just ask that you would do a deep work in our hearts, that this would not just be in our heads, but in our hearts in a deeper way today even. And we just honor and worship you for who you are. In your name, amen.